HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is sponsored by Bob's Red Mill. With natural foods, they support organic, vegan, paleo, and gluten-free lifestyles. Learn more about their commitment to good food for all at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. You're listening to In The Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and when I'm not hosting In The Drink, I work on a uh, little bit of Italian wine called Anona, which you can find at some great New York restaurants, including The Nomad, Osteria Marini, and Frankie's. Um, This is actually episode 199. Uh, I'm really excited. Uh, We have our 200th episode coming next week. Uh, We're back from uh, our spring break. This is officially our summer season, even though we're uh, a solid month away from the summer. Uh, But it is a beautiful day here in Brooklyn. We're at Roberta's, and I have a great guest. Uh, I mentioned that you can find a Nona at Frankie's. It's one of uh, my favorite restaurants. Um, you have, uh, we have in the studio today John Patterson. He is the wine director of the Frankie Spuntino Group, which has Frankie's in Manhattan, in the West Village, and in Brooklyn, and Prime Meats. Um, and he's here in the studio, and I'm really excited to have you. Welcome, welcome to In the Drink. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Um, one of the things that uh, that you do well, and one of the things I really want to focus on this uh, this show is having high quality wine service uh, in a casual setting. I'm going to set that out right now, but I want to talk a little bit more about how you got into the industry. Um, you have a little bit of a unique background coming from Alabama and working yep. in your in your parents' restaurant. Yep, totally. Tell us um, about that. So, uh, 2001, my parents opened a restaurant. My mom was a caterer for years um we would do massive parties out of the house so she dove into the restaurant business uh i was 14 and uh 
worked with them a little bit. I studied abroad my junior year of college, and that was kind of what really... Where did you do that? Uh, in Florence, Italy. All right. Um, I, I did, too. Oh, amazing. Amazing. It, it, was, uh, it, was a pretty, it was a pretty important part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I went with the intention of studying art history, took a wine class because I thought it would be funny as like a 20-year-old. I'm like, oh, I'm going to study wine. This will be fun. Uh, and then I realized that I actually really enjoyed it, and it was something I understood. Um, so a lot of tastings, and then what was really cool about that was you you talk about the important wines of, of Italy in this mm-hmm. case, and then you go visit the winery and you see the process. You you okay. get to literally get your hands dirty. It's like seeing art in situ. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Which it was also I really took my cool. one art history class in yeah. Florence on that trip. Well, that was what was also really cool was studying art history. Was you know you you study all of these amazing works of art, and then you travel to the Vatican and you see all of them, and you walk down the street in Florence, and you're like, oh, there's the David, there's this, there's that. Um, now, what program did you do? I went through Florence University of the Arts, but then they had a division that worked with a school called Apicius, um, which was a like a culinary school, but they had a hospitality management side. Mm-hmm. So when I got back to College of Charleston, where I was studying, I dropped my art history major and changed to a business degree in hospitality and tourism. So... See, that was smart. I wish I did that. Yeah, that would have helped out. It was a lot, great. Yeah. I kind of feel good every day. I can think, you know, like I actually use my college degree. It's it's kind of nice. Um, but it was actually very very helpful. The degree itself was was great of learning the back end of restaurants. You can't really teach the mindset of hospitality. You know, I don't. I think it's very hard to teach that. You just kind you of have, you have it, it don't, exactly. Right. Um, so it was nice to kind of have a little bit of a foundation, um, and then I. I did take another semester off because I wanted to go work with my parents and I wanted to dive more into uh, working in the restaurant. So I on and off worked with them before that as like, you know, dishwasher, busboy, et cetera. My parents were very generous, but they were also very like hard on me. Dad was not going to let me be the owner's son who would just come in and do as he wanted to. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, you had to work for it. Um, and I'm very grateful for that because I feel in my position now it's, it's easier to relate to problems when you've been in the situation and you can fix them, whether that's the, you know, the dishwasher breaks and you, somebody needs help and they don't know how to fix it. So you can help. Or if it's, they need help on the floor because they're short staffed in, in the running position. I, we worked freeze art fair this last weekend, which was a lot of fun, but Sunday we had no expediter and I was the only one that felt comfortable, I guess, at the expo stand. So that was the first time I had stand, uh, stood at a pass for entire service that was and you felt comfortable because you'd done it at your parents yeah so my dad was my dad's an amazing expediter uh which is i think hilarious in itself um so i would expo with him and then i worked briefly with clint sloan at mccrady's Mm -hmm. uh, in charleston and helped a little bit on the past there as well so i have some experience in doing it but i haven't done it in years but i don't know it's kind of like riding a bike once you get in the groove it's I think that I mean I also think that talks to the the modern sommelier is that you, you it, it's very rare you can just be a sommelier these days you have totally. to be able to jump in and, and do lots yeah. of different things you you have to you have to be able to do them but more, I think more than any of that you have to be on the understanding that you can't just focus on opening bottles and putting them on the table you have to really be a glorified busboy. I mean, it's a saying that we talk about all the time and like, sure, it's kitschy and whatnot, but it's very true. Um, you have to be able to understand the mechanics of service and you have to be able to, to jump in where you're needed because I think the, the reality is you're not selling bottles of wine every five seconds while you're on the floor for six, six plus hours uh, during a dinner service. Mm-hmm. Maybe, hopefully you are, but 
I don't think it happens. Now, what kind of food were you serving or your parents serving at the restaurant? It was very like American, kind of American bistro esque. Mm-hmm. Um, it was definitely had a lot of Southern roots, of course, because we're in Montgomery, Alabama, and you know you can only be so fancy. Um, but it was a lot of what my mom kind of cooked growing up that we kind of interpreted to a restaurant format. And uh, as we learned in the early days, it's very hard to cook the you know whatever that dish is that you you cook for four people. It's a little hard when you're cooking for a thousand people. Right. Um, so that was that was fun, but. Uh, we and did I read that you put together a wine program back in those days? Yeah, so my first wine program I put together, uh, I turned 21 while I was studying abroad, and that was in September. I came home the day before Christmas uh, and then went back to school, and in that time was kind of like begging my parents, hey, let me, let me put some wine together for the restaurant. There really wasn't a program. Um, and the story, it kind of comes full circle a little bit later, which is, I think, the coincidence is so bizarre, but uh, yeah, so they were like, that seems silly. This is Alabama. Nobody really, you know, they just want to drink what Wine Spectator tells them to drink. Um, and so I like was, well, let's give it a shot. Let's see what happens. So I did the intro and the certified with the Court of Masters on Lays and kind of begged them. And they were like, all right, well, you're so you're serious enough about it. You know, you're studying for the first time in 21 years. Um, let's give it a shot. And so I did. I When I took the semester off of school, I went back and worked as the wine director, and we we had a pretty fun little program. It was a hundred selections, but in Alabama, that's like you know pages and pages and pages and pages of wine. So uh, it was fun. We we created a really cool little atmosphere, uh, and then we opened another restaurant, which was a pizzeria. Was kind of something I just had really wanted to do. My parents were like, "Okay, like let's see if we can do it," and we did it, and it was great. And then I was like, okay, no, this is terrible. I want to go back to college. Uh, and so I went back to college, finished my degree, and then... Now, are these restaurants still open? They're not. So they closed in 2010 okay. after uh, 11 years. Wow. Yeah. That's a good run in the industry. Yeah. A very good run. And in, in Alabama, it's, it's, it, was, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, Alabama, I think, is a place that's misunderstood by a lot of people. I think uh, Frank Stitt, for example, is like... One of my favorite people in the entire world. His restaurants are in Birmingham. Right? Yeah, and, and now there was a time when I I had asked a few people on this show who had done a lot of travel, or whether they were writers or, you know, uh, yeah. someone like a Jasmine Hirsch or someone who sure. like travels all over. And it's like yeah. what like what's a great eating town? And like they kept saying Birmingham, like one after another. It is, and my wife is from Birmingham, so uh, and her family lives there, so we go back um, when we can. Usually, it's only once a year, um, and. It's always a requirement that we, at the very least, go to the bar at Highlands because huh. I think the food is spectacular. The wine list is, by New York standards, you know, bargain prices, uh, but the selection is un- unreal. And it's I think he really embodies Southern hospitality uh, in in a very refined way. And what he has done to put Southern cuisine on the map is, I mean, invaluable. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, and it's nice that he's finally getting uh, a little bit of recognition on the on the national scale so then you uh you went back to school in charleston and you worked at mcgrady's for a little bit yeah so i um for my like final course of my degree uh one of the things was you need to do an externship so i was like can i do it at a restaurant they're like well sure i guess that makes sense right so i basically knocked down clint's door and my wife and i had we've gone to mcgrady's a lot we love to go to the bar 
Um, it was a lot of fun. So we, I kind of got to know Clint a little bit and it was like, Hey dude, I want to work for you for free and I'll do all of the dirty work in the cellar. And if you ever feel it's appropriate, I'd love to work with you on the floor. Um, not as a sommelier, but you know, as a server assistant and whatever, just get my hands in a different environment because I really, I'd never worked in a restaurant that was not owned by my family. Right. And you know, it's a very humbling experience to go into another restaurant where, you know, you're five minutes late you work for your parents, you call up, you say, I'm, I'm late and I'm going to be there. And they'll probably scream at you when you get home, but that'll be the end of it. Right. Um, it's different when you don't know anybody mm-hmm. and you know, you, you're held accountable for everything. So that experience was incredible for me. Uh, I think Clint is one of the like better sommeliers in the country. And the list he put together at McCready's was unbelievable. That was the first yeah. time I'd ever like put my hands on old bottles of Burgundy, um, mm-hmm great Riesling and, you know, of course, like the, the classics that we see from now, Did America. you work with my friends Alex Zink and Jeremiah, or is that sort of before they... So I Jer- did. You so did. so yeah. Jeremiah is actually cooking at Frankie's on Tuesday with Mark Vetri. Oh, uh, that's right. And this will be the first time I've seen Jeremiah since I left um, McCready's. Uh, and I don't even think he knows that I'm at Frankie's. I haven't, I haven't spoken to him, but... I'm I'm very excited because he was his restaurant in D.C. The Dabney. I'm, I'm very is very excited. Outstanding. Yeah. Everybody says that, and I think he is a and he's an incredible chef. Um, the food that he was putting up at McCready's, and he was, I guess, technically was the chef de cuisine um, when I was there, and what he was doing was like mind boggling to me, um, and that was an amazing experience. But I kind of I needed to get out of Charleston. I'd been there for five years. Charleston's I think one of the places that's near and dear to my heart, but it's very small. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you live in Montgomery for 18 years, then you go to Charleston for five years, you, you need something. Right. Um, so I called a friend of mine. Another great food town, though. Like oh, my God. Good restaurants per capita, yeah, right? Totally. But, but it is small. It's, it's, small. it's very small. It's a place that I love to visit any opportunity I can. Uh, I have a wedding next weekend, and I get to visit. It's nice. been a couple of years, so I'm, I'm very excited. Um, but, yeah, I needed to get away. So... I um, kind of told my girlfriend, now my wife, I think I'm going to move to New York. She was like, excuse me? She was like, you can't move to New York. We have a house here. And I was like, yeah, but I just think that, like, I think it's, I think it's time. I, I just need to, like, I really want to pursue the wine thing. Charleston's such a small town. It's, it's very hard to, like, wine. Clint was really the only sommelier aside from maybe a Rick and some other guys that were, were doing some, some mm-hmm. cool stuff, but those guys had been there forever, built up their own program, were kind of household names. They're not going to go anywhere and they shouldn't. So I called a friend of mine in, um, in New York who I had known from Alabama cause she sold my mom wine. Mm. Um, she wrote my parents first wine list. Uh, so that was, it, that's kind of how it all kind of comes full circle a little bit. So I called her up and I was like, Hey, I want to move to New York. I haven't seen you in 12 years. Um, She's like, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to work in wine, but I know it, you know, it's a process. It's not just like, oh, you come in and you can be a manager. Sure. Um, and so she introduced me to Hayden Fleece at Craft Bar. And I started working for him and kind of worked my way up from a server to a sommelier, assistant wine director. And then when he left, probably a year into me being there, I became the wine director. And then I, I don't know, hadn't stopped since. That's uh, great. Yeah. yeah, and Hayden was just a great... Oh, he was so much fun. Uh, yeah, he was a, a super fun. He lived a half a block away from me at, yeah. at Del Anima and was a, a, a fixture yeah. in our outdoor cafe. So that apartment, he took over from myself, who took it over from Whitney, who 
was the oh, one yeah. who. So it's Champagne like, Whitney. Yeah, totally. So, so she's from Dothan. That's how that's how we know each other. Oh, but she yeah. has the Alabama accent. You don't have it. I've never really had it. I mean, it comes out. I'm sure if I drink bourbon, which I try not to really do ever, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But everyone in my family is People used to ask me, different. how come I don't have a Queens accent? My mom has a <laughs> sure. Queens accent. Totally. But I don't think... I think the New York accent has disappeared uh, yeah. quickly, and people don't care as much anymore. No, but it is funny. when you, We had this conversation last night at, at, uh, with some friends. It's like, I don't have an accent, and they're from Queens. They're like, are you kidding me? You say coffee. Like, yes, you definitely have an accent. Oh. But, you know, it doesn't... It's not a thing anymore. I don't know. It's only a thing if you're from like Alabama and you can barely understand anything that. Okay, so so you took over craft and then you went to the Nomad. Yeah, so I, uh, which it's it's this weird like it just goes to show you how small the community is in New York. Um, So all the time, don't burn any bridges in this industry. Definitely not. No, it won't go over well. Um, So Thomas was at Clicquot and Sons while I was at Craft. He left to go open the Nomad. Right. Um, And he and I connected. And I was like, hey, you know, I really want to work more on service. I really want to focus on tasting the classic wines of the world and really refining my skills as a sommelier. At, at Craft Bar, I was the wine director. Yes, I acted as a sommelier on the floor, but that gave me a lot of the buying experience in New York City, which mm-hmm. I came to find out is totally different than Alabama, where there's only like three vendors. Um, is that true? There's three distributors. I mean, there's maybe more than that, but we, we worked small. with three in, in Alabama. Um, so the experience at Craft Bar was invaluable because it gave you the management experience uh, and it gave you kind of a, a little taste of the... Oh, I'm sorry. Um, it gave you a little taste of the... Uh, That's right. We usually hear uh, them setting tables yeah. and people. You usually hear right. Roberta's. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I, I really wanted to work as a sommelier. I didn't yeah. want to have to focus on you know, the, the financial aspects of a program, I really just wanted to focus on service. Uh, and the experience at Nomad is probably to this day, the most important part of my career uh-huh. just because there's no, I, I don't know of any other place in the city or, or in the country really where you can taste that level of wine and really come up with your own educated opinions on the best vintages, the best producers, like wines that I was literally would just study about and, and, you know, fantasize about actually getting to drink it uh and then you do that and like on the first night we tasted romani conti uh and like I, you know that's not a wine anybody tastes on no. at least none of my friends but i get know. to try it once a year at, at la Palais. like that is the exactly only yes exactly time it comes around my yeah uh, totally so atmosphere that experience was uh incredible and then i connected with the franks and uh i joined them in february of 2015 and it's and it kind of a perfect home for me because I, I really, really like the restaurants. I like them. I like the philosophy of what they do. Uh, and it was kind of an opportunity for me to take a position that didn't really exist before mm-hmm. uh, and kind of put my stamp on what I want to do. And I think the experiences that I had leading up to it allow me to, I think, put together a program that makes sense um, and, and works for both me my bosses and most importantly the guests so i think you're doing uh, just a bang-up job there Thanks the wines so. are great the service is great but we're gonna i think that's a really good time for us to take a quick break and then we come back we're going to talk about how all of that fine dining experience really informs a place where it's more casual and just a really fun place to drink great wine totally all right Thanks. we'll be right back
Hey, this is Cynthia, host of Primary Food, here with Anna Bonengel, a registered dietitian with Eat With Zest, eatwithzest.com, and we are here to talk about Bob's Red Mill and superfoods. So, Anna, what is a superfood anyway? Yeah, great question. You know, it's really not a very scientific term. One way to think about it is if you think of foods along a spectrum, there are a few foods with fewer nutrients, and then there are foods that are packed rich with nutrients and antioxidants. And so superfoods are those that are on the furthest on the scale in terms of having the most nutrients and antioxidants. Which foods are considered superfoods? Typically, they tend to be the most richly colored, high antioxidant and anti-inflammatory foods that get that superfood label. Some are super well-known, like blueberries, kale, salmon, but now people are also going nuts over lesser-known foods like goji berries, acai, flax, and chia seeds, and a really popular one now is black garlic. So if I'm trying to eat better, should I go on a strictly superfood diet? Well, you know, superfoods are, of course, great, and I will say the more you eat, the better. However, eating only superfoods would make you deprived of essential nutrients from nourishing food groups like whole grains, to name one. So, you know, whole grains are super important because they're packed with fiber, iron, as well as other antioxidants and a rich array of other vitamins and minerals. So in addition to the brightly colored, nutrient-dense superfoods, to balance out your diet, you really need to also include 100% whole grains like brown rice, quinoa, popcorn, and even things like good old-fashioned oatmeal. Okay, got it. Well, that's great because our sponsor at HRN, Bob's Red Mill, produces a lot of delicious whole grain products. Do you have a favorite Bob's Red Mill product? Yeah, you know, to be honest, I'm a huge Bob's Red Mill fan. I love a lot of the the whole grains that they provide, but I particularly love they've come out with a blueberry hazelnut oatmeal cup. That is totally delicious. It's got classic superfoods like blueberries, but also some of the more trendy ones like flax and chia seeds. Um, it's It's a really nice mix of trend and tradition. What I also really like about that that particular oatmeal cup is that it's higher in protein but lower in sugar than many of the other oatmeal cups that are out there. Bob's Red Mill doesn't chase fads. They just keep working hard to offer as many delicious whole grain and organic food options as possible in an endless commitment to good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. All right, we're back with John Patterson, the wine director of the Frankie Spuntino Restaurant Group uh, here in New York City, both in Manhattan and Brooklyn. And uh, you can also find them at uh, cool art fairs like Freeze uh, um, over the last weekend. Uh, Just uh, some, some, I think, at this point, classic restaurants in New York and uh, restaurants have recently invested in really upping their their wine programs with with John on board. Um, Before we get into uh, the you know, the second half of our conversation. Have you had anything like particularly delicious to drink uh, recently that you want to share with us? Yeah, yeah. Uh, two things come to mind. Um, last night, I had fantastic uh, bottles of wine at Co. I think Chase puts together uh, a phenomenal list, and Jake as well. Um, he poured us a bottle of 88 uh, Rousin Segla uh, Margot that was like haunting. Uh, and I'll be the first to admit, Bordeaux is not something that I'm. Uh, as educated as I probably should be. Um, it's not a big focus uh, for me just yet. Um, that 
I woke up thinking about how good that that bottle was, and there were some other wines on the table that maybe uh, others would be like, that was better than this. That was, yes, it was like haunting. Really? It was so good. It was just. You know when the stars align and, and there's just like the, it's the perf- right bottle yeah. in the right place of its time. Totally, and, yeah, uh, yeah. and I think for me it was even more impressive, uh, impressive just because I, I wasn't expecting it. Yeah. Um, and then my wife and I drank Amazing. a bottle of 2010 uh, Tissot uh, Briere Chardonnay mm-hmm. um, that Stefan gave us when we uh, visited in 2011. We got engaged in France and visited with him. At the end of the day, he was like, asked my wife, didn't really care about me. He was like, what would you like the best? She was like, the Briere was mind-blowing. So we took it home, and uh, we decided to pop it. And it was like, I can say with a lot of confidence, one of the best bottles of Chardonnay, not just Shiraz, Burgundy, whatever, um, that I've had in a while. That Again, an example of just like... Perfect everything. Perfect everything. Yeah. Plus perfect memories too. You're totally. Like I mean, yeah. In France with your like yeah. new fiance. Yeah. That, there was a lot of sentimental value in in that wine too, and there was a, a lot of emotion involved in it. But it was both of us were like, "What is happening right now? This wine is out of control." Awesome. So awesome. That's why I love wine. Uh, okay. So what I really want to speak with you about is something that uh, I think that you guys nail at the restaurants. Uh, John Bonet actually just wrote an article uh, talking about this as well. This kind of new uh, wave of high quality wine service in a relaxed manner. Um, oh, totally. Uh, is that something that you sought out to do at Frankie's from the beginning? It's something that you've like clearly defined. It was, I wouldn't say that it's, it's clearly defined because I think to be very honest about working in any restaurant, it, it, it's a constantly a work in progress. You're constantly trying to fine tune little details. You see things that work, you see things that don't work and you, you constantly want to adjust. But, um, one of the reasons that the restaurant appealed to me so much, uh, with when leaving nomad was it's an opportunity to take what I've learned from a very buttoned up service, um, and take the mechanics of that and the hospitality that you learn from the nomad and the made nice guys. And, and same with the craft group. Um, and apply it to a neighborhood restaurant. And and we are, at its core, a neighborhood restaurant. And that, to me, is very important. Um, so we want to remain hospitable and available. But like what I really want people to come into, and, and it's happening more now that I've had time to get the list where I'd like them and the, and the programs as a whole, from the physical wine list to the, the education and the service, um, to be really like, wow, I, I didn't expect this. Um, I, I kind of want to get away from that to a degree because I I don't want people to be surprised that a small neighborhood restaurant can have a really good wine list or, or a big line wine list or what have you. Um, so it was something that I, I really it really appealed to me because it was an opportunity to take what I learned, apply it to a, a very casual setting. I mean, I I wear tennis shoes to work every day. You know, it's. We take ourselves seriously, but we try not to take ourselves too seriously because I want everybody to be comfortable. It doesn't matter if you're drinking a $40 yeah. bottle of wine or if you want to drink, you know, Grand Cru Burgundy or the so, best Italian so let's, wine. Let's talk about some of like the formal vestiges and, and what you think should carry over and what you think yeah. can kind of go away. Obviously, you think like there's, you don't need to be served wine and wearing a, you know, a suit and, and polished shoes to, no. for it to be a good wine. No, experience, no, no, no. Right? no, absolutely not. I think that. N- 
above everything else, uh, the experience has to be enjoyable uh, and without pretension. Because I think that uh, in order for people to to feel comfortable, you know, the the service has to match the environment. It would be very awkward if we at Prime Meats, for example, were wearing suits, and at you know at Frankie's, the service team wears T-shirts. So it would be very bizarre if I was in a suit trying to sell you guys wine. Um, so one thing that we have really like focused on is our like aspects of uh, mechanics of service that we and myself feel are important to service and then apply them to each unique restaurant. And service- okay, so let's talk about some of those mechanics. Yeah. For instance, I know uh, there was a, a, a sort of an outsized ordeal when uh, Eric <laughs> O'Neill at Italian yeah. started not tasting people on sure. uh, their bottles of wine. So when right. a bottle of wine, usually you taste to make sure that it's sound. And I always say also to make sure if the guest likes it uh, always. as well. Yep. Uh, she stopped doing that. She thought that maybe that, that was an uncomfortable situation for some guests. Yep. Do you think that that is, is that something that for you guys uh, it fits into the, your service. I should also note, I think she's a phenomenal sommelier and has an incredible wine program. Um, it's not something that our restaurants that I would want to do um, because for me, it's we taste everything when we open it. That's very important. Uh, and the reason we do that is we don't want faulty wine to go to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of folks do that. That's totally normal. But um, I always want to give the guests the benefit of the doubt uh, and, and also give them the opportunity to say that they don't like something. Um, luckily, it doesn't happen often, but it, 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 happen, it happens. You know, you've definitely ordered something that you weren't expecting. Uh, I, even I have, I've done absolutely. that too. Like, yeah. I ordered something I thought it was going to be this. Yep. I thought it was going to be like a fresh, crisp wine, and then it's like a skin mask right now. I'm right. like, oh, I and just you, wanted something yep, like totally. super light right now. So um, letting the guest taste is very important. Um we at Prime Meats and at Frankie's in the City, we have uh, we have bigger restaurants, so we have more space, so we can open wine away from the table, uh, and we can taste it. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, at Frankie's in Brooklyn, if you've been in the restaurant, it's forty seats. There there really isn't any room for that, so we have to make up for that in other areas. Um, so, like I think the service team at that restaurant is very very good. Uh, they're very into wine. They want to learn about wine, and the list. They change a lot. They maybe may change more than, than they would prefer, but, uh, you know, for me, it keeps it interesting and it keeps it fresh. Uh, and why, it also, do, why do you do that? Yeah. So just um, for your own personal, like there's so many wines and do you want to give them all a, a shot? Yeah. Yes and no. Themselves. I mean, the, we keep, um, we keep like a small portion of every list at all three restaurants, uh, into what I kind of call like our core wines, meaning they're wines that vintage after vintage i can rely on them being consistent um we always of course taste before we buy but um wines that the guests really kind of rely on um and we want to always be available and then there's other portions of the list that maybe are allocated wines that we don't see a lot of so maybe we only get six bottles that might sometimes last a week might sometimes last a year uh and then another portion of the list kind of rotate among the season and what we mm-hmm. feel is appropriate. You know, right now we're putting rosé on the list, even though it's like it's been a little chilly, yeah, a little cold outside. Um, but yeah, so that's the the list kind of rotated. And Got I it. should note that all three restaurants there is maybe one to three percent overlap. Um, 
And I think that's very important because it's very little. Yeah. Well, each restaurant is different and, and it's not, I mean, that was one of my questions I was going to save for later, but since you brought it up, like, how do you, I mean, the, the, the menu, I think at Frankie's in Manhattan and Brooklyn are pretty similar. If I remember correctly, they but, were until, uh, uh, so, uh, Danny Amon joined us, um, in the summer of last year. Okay. Um, who I think is one of the great chefs of, uh, of New York. Um, and he, he was so D- Danny was with uh, the Franny's group for a long time oh, back yeah. in like the OG Franny's, uh, and then he opened Marcos, uh, and then when Marcos closed, he left, did some other things, and then he joined us. That was, that was a great restaurant. Oh, yeah. such a good restaurant. Yeah. Grilled meat situation was phenomenal there. So uh, he's a great a great fit for us, and I, I really really love working with him. And it's a lot of fun to to work with a chef who also like myself works in the three different restaurants, so we can constantly communicate um, about what he's finding either at the market or what's coming into season and things that I kind of will maybe change up some by the glass because he's going to put on a new dish and I'm like, Oh, nice. this would go great. So, um, so yeah, so each, each of the restaurants have different identities and now Frankie's in the city, we've changed up the menu, um, completely. And it's a lot of Danny's, uh, food and there's some really, really fun, more like light, mm-hmm. fresher stuff. Now the classics that everybody wants are, are still there, but there's a lot more, on the menu. So it was a great opportunity for me to change up a little bit. So uh, if Frankie's in the city, we don't focus on Italian wine. We have a global list. It definitely That's leans neat, heavier yeah. on the old world. But um, I think Gamay is phenomenal with some of the like lighter, fresher Italian-influenced food that he does. Uh, and yes, there's some from Italy that we love, but I have a soft spot, in, soft spot in my heart for Beaujolais. So there's a lot of Beaujolais. Best uh, wine dollar for dollar. It, I would love to find something that can also give me the same pleasure for the amount of money that Beaujolais can, and oh, I yeah. can't. I can't find any. Yeah, when Macron won, uh, Alyssa and I drank some yeah. Foyard Cuvée three point one four because that's it's the happiest wine in the yeah, happy totally. day. Yeah. yeah, totally. We're actually we're going to so, pour that by the glass at Prime Eats no. in the next couple months. Yeah. Sometimes you pour like these really yeah. hard to find like allocated yeah. wine. Like, how are you pouring that? That's crazy. Why not? I, yeah. Like, it, I don't want it to sit around. Yeah. I want people to enjoy it. And the way I look at it is, you know, opening something kind of fun by the glass and maybe not uh, really making a lot of money off yeah. it is one. It it kind of grabs people's attention and they're like, "What is he doing? Like, wh- why would he?" He probably got two bottles of that. Why is he getting rid of it? But, you know, if I pour it by the glass, five different people get to try it. Um, yeah. and, and people get excited about it, too. Totally. And it, it's it's a lot of fun. The staff really gets into it. You know, I'll kind of just, whatever mood I'm in, <laughs> go down to the cellar and find something. And it, it's very um, spontaneous. Yeah. I think that's important. There's no, like, schedule. But just kind of whatever whatever makes sense for the day, do it. Have right, fun what, with it. What about presenting a cork? So I don't present the cork. Um I, it's just something that I've never really done at the Nomad. We presented the cork, but we would remove the cork once the wine was tasted, approved and poured at the table. Yeah. Um, I have always kind of seen the cork with the few exceptions of like very rare collectible wines. Um, I don't do it. If somebody brings in corkage, I don't, uh, like leave it alone. I I present the cork because it's not my wine. It's theirs. Uh, and maybe they want to hoard their corks or whatever mm-hmm. uh, so we uh maybe the cork yeah maybe the cork order he definitely hoards corks <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so i don't i don't present the cork to me it's 
it sometimes if you're opening a bottle of wine and the cork doesn't you know come out and it's clean like it just doesn't look nice and i don't think that looks nice on the table so i don't uh, I don't present them, but I do hold on to them. If somebody asks for it, happy to bring it to them. Yeah, I agree with you. It's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's and trash. There, there used to be... Like it's physical trash. trash. There's, there, there's this wine, you probably know, uh, Brico Monsoni. Sure. Do you know that one? Yep. Um, I can't remember if it's 98 or 99, but every time we pulled it mm-hmm. out, the cork smelled like crap. Yep. It's like, this mm-hmm. is definitely going to be corked wine, and then yep. we'd pour it, and the wine was beautiful. Yep. And so, like, I don't like people smelling corks. You can't tell yep. anything I about definitely it. Definitely do not smell corks. And because it's the same reason you can run into bottles of wine that are perfectly sound, but the cork can just be stinky. Sometimes it can have like that TCA aroma to it. And sometimes it just doesn't smell good. In some case, maybe there's, yeah, it just, I think it brings up too many potential scenarios that are negative instead of positive. So I don't, I just don't deal with it. What about glassware? Did you change the glassware? Yes. Um, we did. Okay. So So that's important. That's something. Totally. Um, you know, at, at Frankie's in Brooklyn, we're not using Riedel stemware, but we have, some good glasses. Uh, it's a challenge in that restaurant. You know, the, the Frankie's, what that restaurant can do in the space that it has still to this day blows my mind. It's tiny. The food is spot on every single time. It really uh, is. It, it really is. It, like, it's kind of one of those, like, you have to sit back and watch and you're like, oh, I don't know how they do it, but they do it. I don't know how they, well, it's tiny, but then there's also that great, uh, the private event space in yep. the back. You, you host amazing dinners yeah. there. Um, I, I went to a, uh, DeFermo dinner there. Yeah, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And like the large format food that you're mm-hmm. doing. I don't know how, I, I don't know how you do it. Well, Where's the kitchen? To be what? fair, they have a kitchen below the restaurant uh, that they use for events and then we'll use it for the backyard, uh, when, when that season is around. But the kitchen upstairs, what you see is that, that that's it, that's right? It. Yeah. It's like hot plates. It's incredible. It's all induction. Right. It's all induction. Mm-hmm. It's mind blowing. And like brunch, which still is mm-hmm. like just slammed. Yep. I don't know how you're doing it. It's amazing. I, I just all order five. I let them figure it out. I don't. I try not to get in the way. of The kitchen just like they crush. They're incredible. And the, some of the guys in the kitchen have been around since day one. Yeah. I and mean, I think that speaks volumes about a company as well. I just don't. It doesn't exist as much anymore. Um, but yeah, we we did change glassware at all of the restaurants. So if if you come into um, Prime Eats, you should get the proper glass and the same in uh, in Frankie's in the city. You know it. It was uh, it was a little challenging for me coming from a, a restaurant like the Nomad where <laughs> options are, are endless. You know, um, we had Saltos, we had glasses for every possible thing you could imagine for beverage, um, and having to kind of take what's most important to me, what's most important to the program, and what's going to let the guests know that like we're a serious wine program uh, and glassware yeah, is important for me the glassware is super important yes, it's too. very important you know it has to be nice glassware that is sure. like, not smudged and totally. is well polished and yes. that's like one of those things that like inspires confidence I remember we opened Delanima I got big glassware <laughs> big <laughs> not like the enormous yeah. but they were like 20 ounce glasses yeah, sure those and that was like our AP and um and I was like, that will tell people that we are serious yep. about yeah, totally. you know, having good wine, even though this is like a casual sure. restaurant. No, but I, th- I think it's important because I, th- I think that uh, in order for the guest to have trust in, in a restaurant, mm-hmm. it, there's, there's many elements from the service staff, um, the, the door staff that greets them, the service staff that greets them at the table, the confidence that they have both in the food and the beverage, um, the elements of 
the environment, like the lighting, the music, there's, there's so much more to it than just, you know, bringing a bottle of wine to the table. Um, and I think that building trust with guests, there's, there's way more than like, you know, we really maybe acknowledge at times. Cause I think there's, there's a lot that kind of complete the package, if you will. Yeah, I agree with that. And so tell me something that, that f- that's from your fine dining experience, whether, you know, at, at, at the Nomad or McGrady's or any, any time in your experience that, that you can really apply to like a, a casual place that actually that makes sense. Something that you've learned from. Um, well, there, there's a couple things, but the number one thing that I stress to the staff, both servers, um, back servers, management is the hospitality aspect of, um, of, you know, service. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the beauties of working at the Nomad is no was never in the equation. You would always find a way to make something work, whether that was, you know, providing them with something that wasn't on the menu or offering them a splash of, of uh, some champagne on, upon arrival because it's a special occasion or whatever. But um, being hospitable, being open to the guests, being receptive, um, and, and most importantly, listening uh, is very important. And I think that you don't, you really get that when you work in fine dining because there's so many aspects of service that are important, you know, and uh, I think that's very important. And then as far as like mechanics of service, um, little small things like, coasters for bottles of wine i don't know why it drives me up the wall but uh it's just like one of those little finer points of service that you when you bring a bottle of wine over you you put the coaster on the table you service the wine you put the wine on the coaster and it it just i don't know it looks nice it does look especially if it's something like they kept cold for a little while it's like wet and it's like yeah absolutely um and (laughs) using uh even as basic as using a serviette like you know drips are a problem yeah, um, but it's it's really like smaller things that uh, you don't see in every restaurant, and maybe they're not needed in every restaurant, and then that's perfectly okay. But uh, you know, if somebody is going to come into your establishment and order a very nice bottle of wine, I feel like there's got to be more than just a sure we'll grab that for you, and then opening it, ripping the foil to shreds, and you know, serving the wine. I think there has to be the de- decanter if it's necessary there needs to be the right glassware there needs to be just a proper like hopefully you're not putting your elbow in their face when you're right when you're serving things things like that, there, that there's are, a premium to buy buying wine in a restaurant right absolutely and they, they should get a certain extra level of service that you know they're paying that that premium yep. versus buying it in a no, retail store 100%. and yeah it should make it nice for them yeah that's precise i mean obviously we're all in the business to to make money um but we're also here to provide a service Otherwise, we would all just go to a wine shop and cook at home and save ourselves a bunch of money. But that's not why we go out to eat. We go out to eat because we genuinely enjoy it. Yeah, it's one of my favorite favorite things to do. So, um, and and you do yes, you do just such a great job of it. I'm I'm, I'm a big Thanks. fan. I appreciate it. It's yeah. a, it's a lot of fun. Do you have some cool some other cool like dinner, wine dinners or dinners coming up at the restaurants that you might want to plug? Well, we've uh, we've been we started a series uh, with uh, Resi. Um, it's called the Frank's like backyard series. Uh, and on Tuesday, um, Mark Vetri from Philly and Jeremiah Langhorn from, uh, DC are coming up that I mentioned. Um, they go through Larry board, Larry bird and Matt Johnson playing on the same team. (laughs) Totally. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible. We, uh, we have a really cool lineup. There's 
There are no tickets left for that. It's my understanding that they are all sold out, but I would recommend to anyone, if you are interested, if you go onto Resi's uh, website, there's a little blurb about it, and there is an option to add your email, Mm -hmm. um, and they will alert you if there's any tickets uh, that become available. Um, Joe Beef, September 11th, uh, which is my birthday, so I'm particularly excited about that that dinner. Um, But yeah, it's it's really cool. Uh, The Franks have really gotten... Uh, the idea of throwing a party and doing it in the yeah. best best way uh, really down. And we like to, like I said earlier, we take ourselves seriously, but not too seriously. We like to have fun because that's, at the end of the day, if you're not having fun, what's the point? Yeah, well, I mean, one of the Franks just have created this great uh, reputation and, and really a pioneer in, in Brooklyn and in the neighborhood. Totally. And so I think a lot of people in other parts of the country know about Brooklyn dining because of yeah. because of their work. Totally. And and I, I really respect them a lot. I think they're exceptional at what they do. And I don't really feel like I'm ever working for them. I feel like I'm working with them. Uh, and. I think that's, for me personally, that's very important. Mm-hmm. I want to feel like the person I'm working for values what I'm doing and values the work uh, in the restaurant. So, Okay, I've got one last question. Please. Uh, I know you're a musician. Yes. Um, there, there are, I see you have a, a water bottle with, with fish <laughs> on it. Uh, I just went to a, a little going away party for uh, Jeff Toscarella sure. from the, from well, the Nomad. Uh, Aaron Sherman from 750 was there. Yeah, yeah, totally. Jonathan Schwartz from yeah. Skernick. All of these guys yep. are into fish. Yep. I don't get it. They're uh, the oh, greatest band on the planet. I don't understand. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Is there something about people in the wine industry and restaurant? Yeah, industry no, no, that it's, are it's, attracted it's to very, it? it's very bizarre to me, and I didn't really experience that until I came to to New York with how much the wine industry really gets into not just music but fish, but. It's kind of one of those things. Some people are like, "You're a moron," and I'm I'm okay with that. I don't I don't care. I don't, I don't call you a moron. I just, <laughs> I just don't get it. Uh, I don't know. I've been seeing fish. I mean, I'm relatively young in the scope of seeing fish. I've only seen them fifty two times. Yeah, um, I know people who've done that in a year. Yeah. To- oh yeah. Totally. That's not an overstatement, right? No, no, no <laughs> not at all. Um, I don't know. I just love them. I've no I've been seeing them since I was uh, thirteen. I'm actually my dad's coming up this summer. And I'm going to take him to his second fish show. Yeah. Because fish, you can't have just one. No, No, you can't. It's like Pringles, dude. Yeah. (laughs) All right, John, thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having me, man. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I'd really encourage everyone to go visit John at uh, Frankie's either in Brooklyn or Manhattan uh, and Prime Meats. Um, The wine, the the food's always been great, and the the wine program has really taken a big boost uh, thanks to your your great work. Thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, And thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, Welcome back. Uh, Thanks so much to Dave Tadish, our engineer. As always, you're the man. And to everyone at Heritage Radio Network. This has been In the Drink. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? 
rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.